Okay, so you come to a point in your journey and you say to yourself, all right, I believe in God, but which one should I believe in? The Christians have theirs, the Jews have theirs, the Muslims have theirs, the Buddhists and the Hindus, well, they have multiple gods. Everyone's preaching about God. And it seems like every God is different. It seems like I'm at a ice cream bar with so many different flavors. But which one is the actual God? Which one is the real one? Which one is the one that I should believe in? Because, well, that's the, the real God. I think that's a question that should be upon anyone's mind that's coming into the to the God question, or at least that is past the God question and now is asking themselves, what God is the right God? Well, in this episode, we're going to take a look at these worldviews and ask some questions about their core doctrines to see if they actually make logical, relevant, and consistent sense. You're listening into Sparks of Truth, where it only takes a spark to start a fire. I'm your host, Kenneth Rivera, and we're going to take you down a story, and not just any ordinary story, but a story that we believe will answer all your questions. So imagine yourself going into a Baskin Robbins, and you the first thing you look at is the menu. And you have so many different flavors to choose from. That's one thing they're actually well known to advertise in their commercials is the variety of flavors that they have. You see many memes right off of this concept of Baskin Robbins and, and the different flavors that you're given. Now, when it comes to believing in God, it honestly feels like the same thing. It's like you're entering into a Baskin Robin and you have a menu. And, you, and this menu has so many different gods to choose from. You have the Judeo-Christian God. You have the Islamic God. You have the Hindu gods. You have so many different gods. Now, is choosing a god like choosing a flavor from Baskin-Robbins? Or is there more to it than that? I think when we're looking at these different flavors, these different worldviews, it can be simple. Now, you don't have to necessarily understand every single detail about these religions or these worldviews to, to, to see that there is a, uh, a difference between the Christian worldview and then basically everything else. And it can boil down to what is the, the view, what is the, uh, the perspective that, that, that these opposing worldviews views take when it comes to salvation. And salvation is different um, in each worldview, but it, basically you have the Christian uh, worldview of salvation and how to earn salvation, how to attain salvation. And then you have everything else mm. and, and what they think is the right way or the best way or the only way to get salvation. Mm. So when, when choosing a God and I, I see that, you know, the, the hinge, the, the, the balancing parts of, of choosing God really at least one of its tenets is salvation. What other, what other um, forms, what, what criteria must we use when selecting the right God to worship? What are some criteria that you would give to, to really found yourself on the right God? Because every God claims something. Every God has their own morals. Every God has their own doctrines. How do we know which one's true? You would have to look at what each god or gods or faith system believes is right. Um, when you can see and evaluate, okay, let's take, for example, Hinduism or even Buddhism. 
their faith system relies on good works, or in other words, karma. When we look at the Islamic faith, that faith, that faith system, that worldview relies on the subjugation of self and what you can do to restrain self. And once you're able to do these things, you know, do good things, um, have good karma, uh, work against yourself, um, you can hopefully attain nirvana or escape the cycle of death and re rebirth. So when you can evaluate at that point what each worldview or religion or faith system, what they believe is right, then you can also, I think, it, after that, see what their God is like because what they think is right will immediately reflect on their God and their view of God. Hmm. Deep in, deep down inside, intrinsically, we, we desire truth, whether we want to admit it or not. We desire for truth. We desire for things to be right. We desire for things to be done right. And we also have a desire to understand what our meaning is. Every person has once in their life questioned, what is my meaning? What is my identity? They've had these, these desires, these questions that lie deep core or deep at the core of our, of our being. And before we kind of go deeper into the other worldviews and what they bring to the table, just looking at one claim, I mean, if we were to take the entire Bible in, in regards to the context of what we're speaking of in this episode, if we were to take one verse of the Bible that is very straightforward, that is very radical, it's a very sharp claim, I would say it's the verse where Christ says of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Why do you think that's such a, a sharp claim? Or do you think that's a sharp claim? I think that's uh, a bombastic claim. Um, and it's something that we have to look at to say that a person is the way, the objective truth and ultimately the life, the salvation for us. Uh, that's, that's some hard stuff, but Jesus always said things that were uh, very um, progressive for the people at that time to think about, to, to, wrap, their, to wrap their minds around. But I ultimately believe it's true because if we go back to right and wrong, if you look at any worldview, what is right and what is wrong uh, becomes subjective depending on what faith system or religion you're looking at. But when we look at the Judeo-Christian worldview, when we look at Jesus Christ, we see that there is objectively one truth, and that is the person himself, Jesus. And when we begin to look into who this person is, what did he teach? How did he live? We can find an objective truth, which ultimately leads us to what we can say is right and wrong. But with every other worldview, there's a, a lot of subjectivity when it comes to truth, when it comes to what is right. And at the end of the day, when it comes to what salvation means and what that actually is. Mm. I love... As, a, as my personal studies, when I've looked at various cases when it comes to the Judeo-Christian platform, I would like to say, when it comes to that platform, that worldview, when it comes to the textbook, I look at so many different variables. I look at so many different uh, things that I can really try to analyze, to, to study, to really make relevant to myself. One of the things that we hold dear specifically in the context of Americans, is the Declaration of Independence. I mean, we are a nation of freedom. There's a reason why I bring this point out, especially with what's happening even now with injustices. And one of the things that's claimed is that, you know, we have the unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Three main claims, three rights. And what I love is that the forefathers upon which, you know, we now have this land and we now inhabit it. They said that these were endowed to our creator. So they gave, they gave credit to, to God. And it almost made me wonder, well, that's a very sharp claim. Where, where do you get your, 
your ideas that this is coming from God. And it's amazing because even just looking at Genesis, just looking at Genesis chapter one, two, and three, I mean, you see all three components visibly there. You see life given to mankind through the breath of life to, to our first parents, Adam and Eve. You see liberty because they're given the land upon which they can dwell and they can inhabit. And when there was only one person there, Adam, when he now realized that every animal had a mate, he had a desire for happiness, God immediately acknowledged that and provided him the wife. Looking at this from that form, it's like, and, and, and this is just one example. There's so many more examples of how this Bible that many would suppose are written by just men who had just time on their hands and they were just crazy fanatics that were probably high or lunatics. To me, it takes a really supernatural power to inspire a human being to write something that is so relevant to even things today, to the innermost needs of humankind. Whether you're Muslim, whether you're Buddhist, whether you're this and that, when it comes to even just things that are relevant now, like injustices, when it comes to things that are relevant now, like racism, and so so much more, it seems like the Judeo-Christian worldview, or at least the Bible, because many, many Christians and many others that really, you know, will claim to be by the book, or it, it may not be the case. But the book itself seems to cover ideally every single issue, every single issue. I like how this apologist broke it down. He broke it down within seven laws is what he said when he was looking for worldviews. Is it logical? Is it consistent? Is it relevant and intimate? Does it tell us about our origin? Does it give it, does it give us meaning in life? Does it tell us about our meaning in life? Does it give us a sense of morality, like moral, a moral law to go by, a moral compass to go by, knowing what is right and what is wrong and how should wrong be dealt with? And does it go further than that? Does it give us a destiny? Like, does it give us an end goal? And many who prescribe to philosophy, at the root core of philosophy, you love wisdom. <laughs> You love wisdom. That's what philosophy is, the love of wisdom. And this rabbi, this teacher, this the main character of the Bible from both the Old Testament with the prophets declaring the coming of this of this main character and the New Testament being the manifestation of this main character is classified as the wisdom of God. He's the very epitome of wisdom. Pilate being someone that was not a Jew, someone that was not within the faith, asked this person, what is truth? And before even giving the opportunity for the man to answer, he walked away. This to me really hits down deep as far as, you know, the relationship that the God of the Bible differs with the God of Islam, with the gods of Hinduism and Buddhism and so much more. I feel like there's a lot of loopholes when it comes to all the other worldviews. Like there's a lot of holes that you can kind of poke your finger through when it comes to its its logical consistency. Like I, I think of reincarnation and I mean, you can really mess around with reincarnation. You can mess around with the karmic law, so to say. I mean, yeah, you receive your consequences, but eventually if you do enough good, you can 
find the loophole and and guarantee yourself salvation how how is god relevant in the other world views or the better question is how does the intimacy of god in the judeo christian worldview differ from the intimacy of the god in the other worldviews i think that's the better question to ask that's a good question to ask i think when you look at all of these other worldviews their relationship with god is or their gods whatever the case is is purely transactional mm. um, and seemingly indifferent i will do the right things and then i will attain nirvana salvation whatever it is um, in hinduism you have karma in buddhism you have the eightfold path of doing right things um, and again, with Islam, you have the battle against self and, and hopefully passing through the judgment. Uh, and when you focus so much on works, let's put it that way. When you focus so much on works, then the God that you have is a purely transactional type of uh, God. It, it's, it's a transactional relationship. It's not about getting to know anyone know anything it's just about doing the right stuff so that you can get something in return but shifting to the judeo-christian worldview it's the total opposite of that you we are implored by the bible to not primarily do things but to know someone to believe in someone that being jesus christ to believe in him whom he has sent uh, and that's such it that's so different that's that's the night and day black and white in my mind uh, and when we're talking about truth and what place does the judeo christian world view have in you know our postmodern society does the truth that is uh, presented by the bible have a place in, in, you know, our society today? The answer is yes, it has to be yes. It's a resounding yes, especially with everything that's going on. Um, I think at the root of, of people's anger when we're thinking about just uh, what's happened this last week with uh, the murder of George Floyd and uh, of Ahmaud Arbery is people's desire for, for justice and for internal consistency when it comes to the judicial system and, and uh, the, the system of law enforcement. And we're not seeing that. But if we look in the Bible and, and we look to Jesus, there is not only consistency, but a truth that I believe is, is so profound for today. Um, if we briefly look at, let's say, Jesus' interaction with the woman at the well, who was a Samaritan, and Jesus is a Jew, those two races hated each other, but Jesus condemned that racism in his interactions with this woman. If we're looking for consistency when it comes to judgment, we can uh, look at the story of Jesus interacting with the woman caught in adultery and see how justice is administered there uh, and how uh, Jesus stays consistent. So the Bible offers so much when it comes to truth and when, and, and when it comes to relevant truth that it's shocking to think that uh, dozens of different authors over the span of hundreds of thousands, hundreds of not thousands of years were able to create a canon of scripture by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that, that brings us a truth that isn't only objective and consistent, but still relevant today. And the truth that we find in the Bible is focused on so much more than just one person or just our, just, it's not internally focused on yourself. It's bigger than yourself. It's believing in, in Jesus Christ, but it's also, it's, it's, it's bigger than just one person. It's, it's the whole world, the whole universe, really. But if we look at all these other worldviews, they're, they're very focused in on what you do 
and what can you do for yourself versus anyone else. So it, if you look at both, it's just night and day, it's black and white when it comes to truth, when it comes to works, when it comes to salvation. Um, and ultimately, when, when, when it comes to just understanding that, that truth is subjective, when, it, when we look at all these other worldviews, but when we look at the Bible, when we look at the Judeo-Christian worldview, truth is objective. Hmm. And, and I, I wanna ask this question before I move on to, to the next point. When it comes to like the injustices that we've seen this last week, you know, even within just today, in, in the time we're recording this, this episode, what comfort do you find in other worldviews to comfort yourself really when it comes to the injustices today. I mean, when you look at things like, you know, the Eightfold Path, of Buddha, the Buddha Path, when you look at good karma and bad karma, when you look at uh, various tenets of those different platforms, like what, what comfort do you really find from the other ones that would really give you any comfort when it comes to what's going on right now? You, you would find no comfort, um, <laughs> to be honest, because none of those things help anyone but yourself mm. in reality they may consider other people to an extent you know being good to other people um, doing good things for other people but at the end of the day those things aren't really for other people they're for yourself there's really no accountability there's no accountability yeah. that, that's held to you because you can just stay in your house or in your temple and just ignore the injustices and you're, you're guaranteed salvation as long as you keep doing good and look, if, if, if I was a Hindu, if I was a Buddhist, I'd be a monk. I'd shave my head, go up into the mountains, because that seems like the best way to, to, to attain nirvana, to escape the, the cycle of death and rebirth. But in Christianity, it's the opposite. The relationships are what is emphasized. Uh, and, and to go back to your original question, is there any comfort in these other worldviews? There isn't, because they're all focused on yourself. Um, mm. They're not focused on addressing the greater issue of evil or of injustice. Um, they're all focused in on getting something and not giving anything. Exactly. And like, even we look at Buddhism, you know, it comes with this, this young prince. It began with this young prince named Siddhartha. And he, mm -hmm. he, he, he pondered on the problem of evil and this problem of suffering. It's not like these people haven't looked at suffering. But much of his, his way of being able to cope with this was just kind of meditating and kind of going through this rigorous cycle of, of reaching this state of enlightenment. And it's almost like, okay, well, now that I notice that evil's going around, now that I notice that everything's going around, what I need to do is meditate as long as possible or do certain things in my personal you know, sphere, at least what pertains to me, so that I can reach a certain enlightenment and only give that as a as a token of help to anyone else. And that doesn't seem like really a productive way of dealing with it. And it wasn't like, you know, I look at Mahatma Gandhi, you know, he wasn't a Christian, yet he did, he did believe in, in fighting for justice. He was a lawyer. You know, he was, he was definitely a compassionate man and he led a great movement, but even him, he was, he marveled at the teachings and, and the morals and the, in the substance found in the teachings of Jesus. The only problem he had was with the Christians. So I, I look at just that, and you look at, you know, various Muslims, let's, let's use Islam as another example. They don't really have a problem with the Bible. They don't really have a problem with much of the Bible. What they have an issue with is with Christians. And and even in, in the Christian in the Christian sphere, much of the Christians have a problem with Christians. I think that's really what's unique is that when it comes to comfort, if you really read the whole Bible, you'll find the comforts. The problem that sometimes and many times gets in the way is the people that seems to interpret that comfort for their own manipulation. It's, it's becoming more and more clear to me that the problem isn't the Bible, it's those who hold the Bible and those who interpret the Bible. Yet, the man called Jesus still in the narrative of the of the Bible still died for these people and still commissioned them to teach because he knew and he saw hope in humanity 
and the only way that he saw hope in humanity was to become a human himself and to literally die a humiliating death. So it wasn't like he was going to follow the the uh, ideas that the Jews already had placed for him, which was to ascend up and to rule over the Romans. You know, that's not going to solve anything. So imagine if we took the same mindsets that the Jews had at this period of time and applied it to the issue of racism today. Well, the way to deal with white supremacy is by placing the minorities at top, placing them in power. Not to say that there are not minorities in power, but you get what I mean. It's to kind of flip the coin around and give them the same injustice. Well, that wouldn't really fix the issue. Because by the end of the day, we're all sinners. We're all prone to evil. We are all prone to take advantage of the power that we have. And I love what Jesus does here, is that he looks into the hearts of the Jews and he knows that their solution is only just to take revenge upon the Romans. His solution was to remove the very thing that is causing the whole entire problem. And that's evil. That's exactly what he wanted to deal with. He wanted to deal with the root of racism, which is sin. He dealt with the injustices because he went to the Samaritan woman, like you said, and while she felt, you know, indifferent towards this, this Jew who was asking her for water, he understood that, he, he, he resonated with that. And I could just almost imagine if he was here today, as far as physically present today, many people that are in pain and that are, you know, are sincerely angry about what has gone on, I don't think he would have just looked at them, condemned them because the Samaritan woman was angry at the Jews. You can see that in the dialogue. You can see if you really read it with the emotion that it's, it's, it's deep in there, she was angry. It's like, you're a Jew, you're asking me, you look at me as scum. I can imagine as a, as a black man, you know, thinking when, when, when a white man is trying to do something or whatever the case may be, they feel the same way as like, you look at me as scum. And this is how the Samaritan woman is, is, is interacting with the rabbi, but the rabbi, has a way different way of approaching with he understands the prejudice that is automatically going to rise up from his interaction with her yet he goes to the deepest core of her heart and he understands her her he understands her first he's not shoving his ideals down her throat he understands her he listens to her he listens to her he gives her the opportunity to talk and he reaches the deepest needs of her heart. And honestly, to me, when it comes to the, the personality of Allah in the Islamic worldview, or the personality of Buddha in the Buddhist worldview, or in the personality of the gods in the very pantheistic um, belief system that comes with a lot of those other platforms are not that personal. Yeah, they're God. Yeah, they're powerful, but they're not that personal. And surely th their consistency wavers because God can be one way in one situation, another way. He can change his mind whenever he feels like it. But the God of the Old Testament and the New Testament combined all hold the same consistency. They all hold. And, and even the scriptures declare it itself when it says regarding God, he's the same yesterday, today and forever. And to make such a claim like that, you have to really read the whole story to see if that claim is true. And it's not like he's he's saying, don't do that. It's not like he, it's not like God is not big enough to handle your questions. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and, and that's the, the thing about juxtaposing these opposing, the, these two worldviews is in one worldview, whether it be Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, truth and salvation they never really go beyond yourself uh, and when you do attain salvation nirvana escape the cycle of death and rebirth you're you're removed from the world you're removed mm. from suffering but the christian worldview is the exact opposite when when we know who jesus christ is when we believe in him we are not called out of the world we are called back to the world to give this message of truth and of hope 
now that we have for ourselves uh, found salvation and 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 that's and that's the biggest difference to me that's the 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 fundamental difference between these two worldviews is there's just something so much bigger so much greater there's there's a bigger question there's a bigger issue that's being addressed in the Christian worldview um, and and going back to what we were talking about current events that's what we really need right now we don't need a worldview that separates us from the world we we don't need a worldview that isn't bigger than just yourself we need a worldview that addresses the issues that we're facing today that addresses the injustices that are happening today and just to be very frank hinduism buddhism islam islam they don't do that but jesus christ does that he in his life and in the bible shows us what it means to not just live for yourself but to to address the greater question of evil um, on a, in a larger sense, but also in your own life. But that ultimately will affect others around you. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, and to me, that's really profound. Now, we, we assess the fact that these worldviews, these platforms, whether it is the Islamic worldview or the pantheistic worldview found in the others, like Hinduism and so on, you said that the, the primary focus is this is works. It is doing things to earn, you know, salvation or to earn a certain level of enlightenment to kind of go on a journey to be to find your identity and to reach a state. But in the Christian worldview, it's it we're not dismissing works. We're not dismissing that because you know you have that you have the popular phrase, you shall know them by their fruits. And it's not like a Christian is, and this is what a lot of people would often think is that, you know, it's not like we as Christians teach, you just sit down in your closet and pray all day whenever you see evil and then just and expect for things to just kind of fall out of the sky. So when you, when you go into that, how would you explain how works play within the Judeo-Christian worldview? Because that's, that's a big point because a lot of people want to see consistency in action from Christians. Do you believe that Jesus dismisses the works um, facet of life? I think the easiest way to illustrate the place that works has in the Judeo-Christian worldview mm -hmm. is, is to look at uh, a plant, a plant that bears fruit. And in these other worldviews, you're purely chasing after the, the fruit. That's, that's the goal. That's the objective. That's, the, uh, that's at the top of the list. That's your primary objective. But when we look at Christianity, the fruit is important, but you're not going to get the right fruit if your roots aren't in the right place. Mm, okay. and, and that's the difference. That's, that's the difference. Your faith when it comes to Christianity is, is based on where your roots are. Is it rooted in the truth of the Bible? Is it rooted in a relationship with Jesus Christ? If so, then the fruit will come. But the primary objective in a Christian worldview is where that root is. But when we go to Hinduism or Buddhism or Islam, it's not about the root anymore. It's about the fruit. But for anyone that's tried to do right in their life, well, you're not going to get the right fruit if your roots aren't in the right place. And it's this struggle. And that's one thing that I've seen in all of these other worldviews is, is there's, there's this, this, this struggle that's so burdensome, that's so heavy that we have to bear and fight against. But in Christianity, while it's not all you know, rainbows and, and peaches, there is a rest. There is a peace that passes all understanding that is found in Christianity and the Christian worldview that isn't found anywhere else. And Jesus mm. even says so himself, saying that his, 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 his burden is light, you know, his yoke is light. And everything else, it's this subjugation against self, which is so heavy, so heavy. But in Christianity, all of that is lifted at the foot of the cross. Yeah, and, and you look at all these people, and, they, and, and the main founders, you know, it's all about teachings, it's all about good morals, it's all about them, them phrases that you post on Instagram that sound really cool and all that other stuff. 
But when it came to the life of Jesus, he got dirty. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't just about par- uh, parables and, and white garments and, and just preaching. I mean, he got down and dirty. He healed people. He knew people were hurting. He knew lepers that had leprosy. He knew, he knew all these people that were having physical ailments and mental ailments and so on and so forth. When he was healing the, the man who could not walk, he says, it's, it, would it be easier for me just to say that for him to walk? And then he points out that it goes beyond that. It's not just for me to heal his, his physical problem of not being able to walk, but also the internal problem of hurting and pain because of the suffering that's going on, not only externally, but internally. And I see that there's, a, there's, there's such a beautiful balance because Jesus wasn't ignorant to the physical needs of humanity. He wasn't, he wasn't ignorant to that. And he wasn't going to just put it under the rug. No, I just came here to, 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 to preach and to, to give you some parables. No, not only am, am I'm, I'm also noticing the fact that you guys are hurting physically as well. You guys need to be fed. You look at the feeding of the, of the multitudes in, in various cases in the, in the Gospels. You see people that can't walk, that they, they now walk. People that can't see, now they can see. You know, there was there were so many miracles that weren't even recorded in the Bible because he did so much of them. He did so much more healing than he did preaching. But in the midst of helping and, and guiding people and doing, in a sense, humanitarian efforts, his his primary root was the root of evil, was the root of sin. That's where his purpose was. Yet as a Christian, as the very mascot of Christianity, he heals the physical ailments. He heals the, the injustices that are going on. He wasn't, he wasn't going around, you know, just trying to, to in a sense, lead a protest or so, so on and so forth, but he was, he was knowledgeable and he was understanding that there is hurt going on. He spoke up when it was time to speak up. He stayed quiet when it was time to stay quiet. But nonetheless, justice had to be done. But at the core elements, the core need that what humanity really needed was the suffering that was going on. Let's take someone that is cutting themselves. Would it just be, would it just be helpful for me to, to take the person that's cutting themselves, wrap some band-aids around them? You know, let's say the cut was, was deep. And I made sure that I did everything that was needed as a nurse to take care of that wound, sewed it up, everything, and it healed perfectly. And I, I did my good for the day. You know, I, I did that. And, and I'm looking at this from the Christian perspective. If, if, I'm, if I'm a Christian nurse and, I, and I, I want to do ministry as well, you know, and I just heal those wounds, does that really heal the entire problem, the holistic problem of the person? No. Why did the wounds be, why were the wounds there in the first place? Because there was an internal problem within the person with depression. And where did that depression spawn from? It could have spawned from racial issues, racial tensions, domestic issues in, the, in, in where they were at, family issues, so on and so forth. I mean, it, the, the platform or at least the variables are, are endless of what, what could have caused that person to self-harm. And Jesus's approach to humanity was radical because it was like, I'm not going to just deal with the physical ailments. I am going to deal with them. I'm going to heal them. But most importantly, I'm going to deal with the deeper rooted issue. I'm going to deal with sin. He's such a radical person because what humans may want him to do is not exactly what he needs to do. And in many cases, is not what he needs to do. Because he's dealing with a different issue here. Do you believe that, that Jesus really, in his teachings, in, in his life, his practicality, do you believe that they're much more radical than that of the, the founders of the other platforms of beliefs? You know what? people don't understand is, is that what Jesus taught, what Christians believe is truly subversive to what the world believes and to all of these other worldviews. Going back to Hinduism and Buddhism and Islam, when it comes to these worldviews, when you finally attain salvation, there is a type of, and, and we mentioned this earlier, there, there, there is a kind of removal of yourself from the world. You're doing all of these good works, let's say, to, to finally find a release from suffering from this life.
You probably at one point in your life heard the Cradle Roll song. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. You'll see the little black kid and the little white kid and the, the little Asian kid and, and so many different races come together singing this beautiful song. How much more do we need that today, especially with all that's going on? Well, the Sparks of Truth team has actually taken that concept and placed it onto a shirt, on a design. This design is R-Y-B-W, red, yellow, brown, white. With the headline, they are precious in his sight. We've taken the word precious, we've broken them down into four parts, P-R-E-C-I-O-U-S, P-R in red, EC in yellow, IO in brown, and the US in white, because it takes that white stroke to bring us together. And so this is going to be used as a way to educate people that it doesn't matter what race you are, it doesn't matter what color you are, you deserve equality, you deserve value. You deserve respect. We will soon have them available for purchase in the hat form and in the shirt form to symbolize how we want this message to be both in the mind and in the heart. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Sparks of Truth. You can look us up on sparksoftruth.org to keep updated with the information and when this will actually be available. Remember, all of us are precious in his sight. It's interesting to note that out of all the worldviews where they have a deity involved, there is always a works-based salvation. You have to do something to attain it. Yet the Christian worldview flips the coin. And as a matter of fact, it's works that come out as a result of being saved. You do good because you are saved by someone who did a greater good for you. When you find salvation, now you are compelled to do good in the world, to do good works. But salvation and a relationship with Jesus comes first. So there's a reversal there. And even with uh, some of the things that Jesus said himself, that the, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. In our system of capitalism here in, in, in Western society, in our academic system, it's about being on top. That's what it's all about. Just like with the Jews and their view of Messiah, it, it, it was about being on top. It was about being the dominant nation. And that really hasn't changed so much, uh, especially in the society that we live in. But Christianity has always been subversive. It's always, it's never been about being on top, but actually being a servant, being on the bottom. And that's exemplified in the life of Jesus Christ. He was on top, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, but he chose to put himself on the bottom to show us what our God is really like. And to go back to the beginning when we were talking about what can these worldviews inform us about the gods that are being worshipped? Well, in, in, in the opposing worldviews of Hinduism, Buddhism, etc., the god and the gods that are worshipped there, my, the, the view that I get of them from, from what is perceived as right in those worldviews is, is, is a god that, uh, again, is not, not just indifferent, but only cares for the people that are doing what is right because those are the ones that get nirvana those are the ones that escape the cycle of death and rebirth but when we pan over to christianity to a christian worldview it's not about who's on top but who's on bottom who is who is the, the most servant like mm. who who are the people that are 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 showing love in such a way that puts them on the bottom. And those are the individuals that are actually first in the kingdom of heaven.
And it's amazing because Christ can relate to the minorities. Christ can relate because the Jewish people at this time were already a minority, but you still had a you still had a caste system. You still had a a a hierarchy because you had the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You had the common folk, and you had those who really were down low, like the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the the lepers, and so on and so forth. So you had this this totem pole. So you had a minority, then you have the minorities of the minorities, and then you have just have the low level, you know, scum at least in, in their eyes. And, you know, like any, any minorities, many times that comes to our mind because that's it's honestly how we're made to feel in many cases that we're the minority, the minorities were, were put down. You look at the most common phrase, the hood, you know, what good comes from the hood? Well, I mean, the same thing was said of Jesus, what good can come out of Nazareth? What good thing? The, the very epitome of salvation came out of the worst situation ever to be seen. The worst place that you would have ever visited was the very place where salvation was born. That blows my mind. That the minority of the minorities, he can relate to every, every single race in whatever position they are. He knows what it's like to be rich and to be powerful. He knows what it's like to be hated and to be, to be despised. He wanted in every way to relate to us in every situation possible. Because he knew deep down inside, I mean, you look at Solomon, Solomon had everything. And, and, and even in the book of Ecclesiastes, he said, all is vanity. He knew what that was like. You look at David, he was a minority of the minorities, and then he became the highest thing. And then he looked at his life and, and realized that all was vanity. But the point is, is that Jesus, apart from all the other roles or at least you know people that that are the founders of these major world religions jesus was someone that can relate to every single situation everything he can relate to the black man to the white man to the asian man to the hispanic man it doesn't matter it doesn't matter the case because by the end of the day it wasn't race that he was seeking to relate to it was it was humanity that he was seeking to relate to because by the end of the day, each one of us have a problem, and that problem is sin. Some of us swim in the pool of sin, and we choose to continue. Others of us seek to get out of that pool that's drowning us. God gives the choice either way. Yet he doesn't, he doesn't say, well, I'm just going to leave sin as it is, at this running cycle, you guys can choose good. And if you choose good, you're going to have a good life. And if those who choose evil, they'll eventually choose good at some point in their life because they'll reincarnate. No, if you continue to do evil justly and, and rightly, there's going to be a punishment. There's going to be a punishment. And, and still then he extends a hand of mercy for those that are really just digging deep, swimming deep in that wickedness. He still tells, tells them to turn away from it. He still has compassion even then. He has compassion towards the one that are literally spitting in his face. He has compassion towards Pilate who is literally has the hands of his fate as far as placing him on the cross. He still has compassion over Pilate. Like how do you, how can you muster so much compassion yet promote so much righteousness and justice? The, the, the values of the Bible, the values of Jesus, are more far-reaching than the values of any worldview that has ever stepped upon the platform of the earth or upon the platform of our minds. Jesus and the truth of the Bible, and I'm talking about the truth of the Bible, I'm not talking about what other Christians, or at least people that hold supposedly the banner of Christians do with it i'm talking about the like the the 100 concentrated truth of the bible and the story that is in it when we look at that it's completely radical it's completely radical it's completely relevant it's completely intimate it promotes justice it promotes mercy it promotes compassion it promotes even the ability to turn away from your wickedness i mean you still receive your 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 judgment your punishment per se. You look at the story of David. I mean, he committed he committed basically rape when he took Bathsheba in. 
And God wasn't going to say, well, you're going to get away. Oh, you're, that's going to, yeah, yeah, you're my servant. You're going to get away with. No, he, he had to pay for that. And he went through a lot of hell for that. Yep. He went through a lot of it. So it wasn't like God was like, all right, no, I'm going to just, no, you're going to, you're going to pay for the punishment, but I'm still going to hand, extend my hand of mercy for you to change from your wicked ways. And David understood that in Psalms 51, we often claim is a beautiful Psalm because it, it really speaks of someone that realizes that they've done evil. And now today, it's one of the, one of the most comforting Psalms for many of us when we read that. And the way that I would sum it up is through every book of the Bible, through every single word of inspired scripture, and ultimately through the person of Jesus Christ, you see this theme of, of, of relatability and relationship. And for me, that's what the Christian worldview has. It is intensely relational, but also relatable. Mm. And when I look at the other worldviews, I just don't, I don't see that. There is nothing relatable in some cases and no relationship to be had. But in Christianity, those are passionately advocated and illustrated in scripture and in Jesus Christ. I hope you enjoyed the episode just as much as we enjoyed recording it. But I have to say something before the music fades out and the episode ends. For all my black brothers and sisters who are hurting, who are angered, who are disappointed in our justice system, I have heard you. As a minority, it hurts me. As a Puerto Rican, as a Mexican, seeing racism passed down from generation to generation, police brutality, in so many cases, I'm tired of it. We should all be tired of it. And I believe that the God I serve is going to end it. He's going to end it completely. And for all those that are hurting right now, I would like to extend my hand and say, I love you. And I'm here with you. And just like the speech that Martin Luther King Jr. once gave about a beautiful dream, I believe that dream is going to come true. With all my heart, I believe that we will no longer be looked as a race, but as humans in unity with each other. This is your host, Kenneth Rivera of Sparks of Truth. I hope you can join us on the next episode where it only takes a spark to start a fire.